1: Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tight. This week on the show, Miami businesswoman and author Michelle Villalobos talks about how badly women can treat each other at work, what we can do about it and why the whole topic can be difficult to discuss.
2: Competition, female competition, in general, is something that happens under the surface. It doesn't happen out in the open, usually, the way male competition does, for example. By the very nature of being that way, it makes it harder to talk about.
1: Coming up on The Broad Experience. I have to admit I feel pretty ambivalent doing a show about female nastiness. After all, I spend a fair amount of time at networking events and conferences where the vibe is all about women supporting each other. This is also very much in the air with the whole female entrepreneurial movement and with books like Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. I think another reason this makes me uncomfortable is that the story of women being horrible to one another is one the media loves tales of so-called catfights are one of the ways the media stereotypes women, and I hate to do anything to contribute to that. But the fact is that many of us, myself included, have had at least one experience in our career where another woman or women made our lives at work quite unpleasant, often in subtle, underhand ways. Michelle Villalobos is the founder of the Women's Success Summit in Miami and the author of a short e-book called The Stiletto in Your Back, The Good Girl's Guide to Backstabbers, Bullies, Gossips and Queen Bees at Work. Early in her career, she had a pretty awful experience working at a fashion magazine in Miami Beach. She says it was the kind of job a lot of girls dream about, but the reality of mean girls and even meaner bosses eventually drove her away. But that wasn't the last time she experienced the kind of behavior that would prompt her to write the book.
2: One of the worst was, oh gosh, I've never talked about this in public. Uh, I had, I founded an organization uh, with about six or seven other women, it was a group of us that founded this organization. and there was one woman who sort of led the pack and she got us all together and and she ran the show, so to speak, but we were all partners in this thing and little by little, like i would i, you know, I didn't notice it at first i I didn't realize what was going on, but one by one the women started dropping off like flies. So and I noticed that the woman, the the leader of the group, you know, she would kind of talk to each of us individually. So she'd come around to me and she'd be like, well, I just can't take, you know, so-and-so anymore. She's not putting her share. She's just not doing enough. You know, and she would tell us the situation where this person, this woman was being lazy or, you know, not doing what she needed to do. And this person would end up leaving because there, there would be pressure from the rest of us, and I and, and I hate to admit that I was part of this, but there'd be pressure for the rest of us. For you know, we'd be like, all of a sudden, that's the way we would see her—that she was lazy or that she wasn't doing her work, she wasn't doing her job. And so, one by one, this started happening. And I was the last to go. It was it was funny because it, I was on an airplane and I was falling asleep on the airplane, and all of a sudden, I woke up with a start. I went like, ah. <gasps> oh my God. And I saw what was happening. It was like an epiphany. All of a sudden, all the pieces fell into place. This woman all this time had been one by one sort of undermining you know, a new woman, getting her pushed out or having her just leave. All of a sudden, all these puzzle pieces came together where I realized she'd orchestrated this whole thing. So she would be the last one standing. And I realized it right before the noose was around my own neck. I was the last one. And then there was a new woman that she'd brought in, a lawyer. You know, I was like, why would she bring in this lawyer? Why why would she bring in this new person now? And it, all of a sudden it came very clear to me. They were intending to get me out and she wanted this lawyer on board to help her do it. And indeed, that's exactly
1: what happened. But she didn't see it coming. She says she was so busy being cozy with this woman and sharing confidences, she hadn't recognized her as the underminer she was. That's such an interesting story. And the fact that you, you were so lulled that you didn't wake up to it until the very last minute.
2: Right, right. It was just right before the end. And when I realized it, I was like, wow, my gut, you know, it was all putting these pieces together the whole time. And I didn't realize it was working in the background, like paying attention to little clues and details. And that's why one of your, our best, our best tools against this stuff is to really listen to our instincts and our intuition, which a lot of times we we don't. We don't listen to them. We override them. We outreason them. We try to logic it away. And in fact, I think that our subconscious or our unconscious knows what's going on before we do.
1: Now, I should say here that despite Michelle's terrible tale of backstabbing, of course, many women are supportive of other women at work. And she's been surrounded by plenty of those women, too. I put it to her that we don't even like to discuss this darker aspect of female work relationships.
2: Well, first we have to identify that female rivalry in general, I mean, competition, female competition in general, is something that happens under the surface. It doesn't happen out in the open usually the way male competition does, for example, in the book, I get into all the un- the evolutionary underpinnings of why this is, but if we just gloss over that for a minute and just accept that it is this way, that it's under the surface, it just, by the very nature of being that way it makes it harder to talk about. So when I say under the surface, so female rivalry has evolved to be things that are not overtly aggressive. Rather than being physically violent, it's more emotionally violent. So for example, gossip is a form of female aggression. ostracism is another one making fun of of other women or making fun of girls or talking about them behind their back so these are these are ways that women can be aggressive without being overtly aggressive so because it's under the surface it makes it hard to talk about because sometimes we don't know what's going on sometimes and it and it often takes the shape of Oh, I'm just sharing with you. I'm confiding in you. So when, for example, if we're gossiping about somebody, you know, we might say, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not gossiping, but, you know, right? and we just disclose whatever it was anyways. So, you know, it happens under the surface, so it's hard to talk about, and nobody wants to admit that they do it. And the fact is, there are evolutionary reasons for why we gossip. There are, you know, for example, it makes people feel closer together. When they, when they talk about something that they have in common.
1: Some recent history has also contributed to our reluctance to acknowledge how big a problem female nastiness can be. In feminist circles, it, it really isn't fashionable to talk about the dark side of being a woman. Again, it's all about supporting one another and being a sisterhood. Th- this stuff doesn't play very well when you're in that environment either. Could you talk about that for a second? Because you do mention this in the book.
2: For sure. You know, the the idea of the women's movement, it makes perfect sense in theory and philosophically. It's a beautiful thing. Let's all bound together. bind together. We, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, rah-rah, sisterhood. It's beautiful. The problem is that we bound together in order to enter a male workplace, a place that was designed, that was, that was created by men for men. So we enter the male workplace and what works there or what worked there, I should say back in the 70s, was a very male approach to business. So it was very competitive. It was aggressive. So a woman had to adapt to that in order to get ahead. So women would adopt these male characteristics. And so it, it created like, for example, let's say a woman gets to in the 70s you know she she fights her way in she gets into the the boys club she works her way up to the top claws herself up there once she gets there she's become more like a man than a woman and so then it can feel very threatening to have women coming up through the ranks or she might not feel she might think well you know you have to work your way up just like i did and that's where the queen bee syndrome comes in so that what the women's movement didn't see coming i believe is is that the women would adopt the male characteristics in the workplace and become competitive. Uh, and so that's one thing that, that happens. And and so they want to fight it by, you know, by b- binding together. But you have to understand that the reality of the workplace, you know, is such. That said, it's changing. Things are changing. Women have come, you know, come in and we're rising up and we're changing it from the inside out. And that we're seeing a change. We're seeing a move from command and control style business to team and collaboration. We're seeing uh, emphasis placed on communication skills, on nurturing, on emotional intelligence, rather than on the traditional male, you know, directive approach. So so it's starting to change. But but it's interesting that, you know, that, that yes, the women's movement, to some degree, sort of was blind to this whole thing.
1: And it's interesting also, because Honestly, I think that for a lot of us, some of this stuff is so subconscious, we barely realize we're doing it. Can you talk a bit about how competition among women evolved and how it's different from the competition between men, for instance?
2: Sure. Well, first we have to understand that in evolution, and this is where something, it's like a context shift. It's its important to recognize people think of evolution as this competition of humans against the environment. And that's not really what evolution was. What evolution was or is is, is the competition of humans against each other in order to pass along their genes to the next generation.
1: She says millions of years ago, our male ancestors could put themselves in harm's way and maybe get killed in a fight, but by the time they died, they would have had many opportunities to pass on their genes through impregnating multiple women. But a woman had to carry a baby for nine months and then raise it through a lengthy human childhood. It didn't make sense for her to risk her life.
2: So if a mother were killed by putting herself in harm's way or by fighting with a woman next to her, then the children would probably not survive. And so men evolved a more overt aggressive way of competing with each other. Women couldn't do that, so they evolved these quote unquote relational aggression tactics. So they're under the surface; they're they're built up through the relationships that they have. So women at once could be each other's best friend and worst enemy because they were in competition, but they were also around each other all the time, talking and sharing the the duties of caring for the children of the of the village or of the the tribe
1: these days we're huddling together and harboring our secret loathing in the playground or around the office water cooler what can we do about this I mean it sounds like if we can at least be aware that we we have these instincts then that's that can go part way to allowing us to perhaps monitor our own behavior but also how do we cope as gracefully as possible with bad behavior that's going on around us. If someone's in a situation that they're finding unbearable, what would you advise? I mean, should they confront the person...
2: Yeah, well once it gets unbearable, things are are much more it's much more difficult. I, I'd say let's take a step back first and identify how we can try to prevent it and then how to try to deal with it. So the first thing that I advise and, and that I you know I did a lot of research on this is stop oversharing with the people at work. The people at work do not have to be your very best girlfriends. They don't have to be your confidants. And I know that we bond with women by confiding, but There are things you can confide that are safe to confide, and then there are things to confide that are not safe to confide. So, you know, problems with your husband, not a good idea. Uh, Problems with another coworker, you know, uh, create that creates drama at work, not a good idea. You know, so number one is put a lockdown on your mouth and stop oversharing because what happens when you overshare is the moment something bad happens. And, and invariably it does, then they have ammunition. And you know what that feels like. You know when you're like, God, I hope they don't say anything about such and such. God, why did I share that? Why did I tell them about this thing that I did or this bad, you know, experience I had? Now they've Now they know about it. You know, now they're my boss. You know, so it's just a terrible idea to overshare. So that's number one. The second thing is to, yes, have awareness for when we're feeling a certain way or when we are gossiping, for example. In the book, I, I, I give a pretty lengthy example of, the, of, of how to identify if you're gossiping. So it's a three-part test, and I stole it from Socrates. So it's in the book, but, but the idea is to, you know, understand when what you're doing is harmful to somebody else, you know? So the first person, you can't change the world without first changing yourself. So if you are committed to having better relationships with women at work, getting ahead, helping each other, you know, collaborating, then you first have to change your own behavior and you have to be a model for other people. So the, the not gossiping, having awareness, not oversharing, those are all things. And then, yes, I do advocate if if some if something has become unbearable, you have to take action. And when I say action, you don't necessarily have to fix it. You can leave. That's always an option, which is ultimately what I did in the magazine. But, um, but I do advocate, I think bullies often back down when you bully them back. So you want to have great information. You want to you know make sure that you're not making accusations that are unfounded. Get your information, understand what's being said, and then bring it out into the open. And a final thing that I would recommend is gather around with the women in your office and Instigate a dialogue about this, you know, read the book, get do a book club about it and talk about it. A lot of times, what I've noticed, which is which is it, it happened to me too, is I don't I didn't realize when I was gossiping, I didn't realize what I was doing was bad. And I grew up with a woman, my mother who's just a chatterbox and there's only so many things you can talk about so I grew up listening to her gossip I hope she doesn't hear this listening you know and it wasn't mean spirited but it's just information you know so just pay attention to when that information crosses the line into mean spirited because sometimes that line is a little bit blurry
1: Michelle Villalobos her book is The Stiletto in Your Back The Good Girl's Guide to Backstabbers Bullies, Gossips and Queen Bees at Work That's The Broad Experience for this time. You can comment on this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. The Broad Experience is supported by the Mule Radio Syndicate and sits alongside other podcasts, including The New Disruptors, Decode DC, and The Shakes. You can support the podcast, too, in multiple ways. One very helpful way would be if you could write a review of the show on iTunes – And also, if you know of any company or person who might be interested in becoming a sponsor, please let me know. You can reach me at Ashley at thebroadexperience.com. And of course, you can always kick in a few bucks yourself by clicking on the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. Next time, tips for success, and that includes giving yourself a break.
0: Perfection is a really great aspiration Um, and I'm not going to tell you that I don't spend every day trying to be perfect but that's a hard thing to do and ultimately if you know that you're going to strive for perfection that next level uh, ain't bad.
1: See you in two weeks. I'm Ashley milne Tite. thanks for listening.